0: continuation of her journey. And that makes me proud and it makes me very happy. You know, I've got to stop this. <laughs> ah. Think of Harold. <laughs> yes. We are in a series called, what's the series called? Bible Peeps. Yeah, got to get back to this. And a couple of weeks ago in our Bible Peeps series, we began looking at Gideon. And it was going to be a two-weeker, and then I got sick, and my son-in-law, Chris, stood in for me at very, very short notice, so thank you, Chris. I know he's not here today. He's off on a work trip. And then last week, I was already scheduled to be away with Karen in Colorado. Now, I just got, I have a picture for you. We hiked up a mountain. It's on there. Come on. Come on. Come on. I want the picture. She got up there. How many minutes after me? Aww. Hey, we, that's 12,500 feet wow. right there. Uh, we hiked up there. She got up there a little bit ahead of me, but you know how it is. So I'm just showing that picture so that you know that I genuinely was away. I wasn't just, you know, we were, we were working. So now, so this Gideon thing started a few weeks ago, and, and now it, it's sort of a little bit disjointed, but I want to finish Gideon. It was the inspiration for me for this, this whole series. So now if you're a guest, you're watching us online or, or a visitor here for the first time or you did, missed the one a couple of weeks ago, June 26th, I suggest you go online and watch it. You can see it on our Facebook site, on our app, on the website and uh, watch it because it'll help make more sense of what I'm going to talk about here this morning. Now I want to give credit where credit is due. When I when I do something like this, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of research of my own, and and then I'll look for some sermons, two or three sermons from other people that have preached on the same thing, you know, to get a different perspective. And I found one that I really liked. I couldn't find the name of the guy. All I know is that it was from the First Assembly of God in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I wanted to give him credit because really inspired. What I want to talk about today. Let me tell you what I like about this Gideon story. First, I believe that the times that we live in now, even though it's thousands of years later, are not that different than the times that Gideon lived in back in his day. Second, I think there's a lot that we can learn from Gideon. He is a very relatable character, and I think if you read through the book of Gideon, if you look at it with the right eyes, you'll see yourself there. All the time as I was studying it, I I mean, I literally kept praying, God, I'm Gideon. I'm the same as this guy. He's just an ordinary guy trying to make the best of difficult circumstances. And the third thing that I really like about the account of Gideon is the activity of the Lord in Gideon's life how he deals with Gideon's fears how he deals with Gideon's insecurities it's just a wonderful wonderful message now I need your help here this morning there's a lot of weird stuff in the book of Gideon I called this this sermon pardon me I was thinking say what but pardon me because there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in this account of Gideon. So here's what I want to do. We're going to have a little bit of interaction here. You know, I've been, I drove all day Friday, drove yesterday, Thursday, hiking a mountain. I was up late last night, so I'm tired. So I need your help today. So here's what we're going to do Every time I say, pardon me, I want you to say, that makes no sense. All right. Let's try it out. Pardon me. That no there you go. And that'll make a lot of sense as we go through this. One more time. Pardon me. That no All right. That'll keep me awake and you attentive. All right. <laughs> Good deal. Now, as, as the case has been many times in this series, uh, this, this whole story is Judges chapter 6, 7, 8, three chapters. So we can't read three chapters here this morning. So I'm going to dive in and out of the scripture and kind of summarize the story. And I'm going to be up front. I'm going to cherry pick the bits that fit what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to trust that you will go away later and read Judges 6, 7, and 8. Now, a couple of weeks ago, just to give you a big picture, I talked about how the judges was a very difficult time in Israel's history. It's very dark. And if you read the whole book, it starts off dark. And it just doesn't get any better. It is not what I would call a fun read. It's an interesting read. There's a lot of unfaithfulness. There's a lot of apostasy. And as the people of Israel move further and further from the Lord, the darker and darker things get. Because you're moving further away from the light, right? Do I sound good? I sound like I've got a feedback up here. Sorry. Sorry. It might just be the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now, one of the weird things in this period of time, this this time when, when God appoints these judges to watch over Israel, they turn to the gods of the people who used to live in the land. That's Baal and Ashtaroth, predominantly. But they never turned away from the Lord. They just added these other gods into the equation. And what they would do is they trusted these other gods for their everyday life. They were the gods of of the the harvest, of fertility, of children, of, of everything. They trusted these. But anytime there was something really big that needed to be done, well, we better call on the Lord God. Now, you can imagine that that really didn't make God feel too good about this whole situation. I mean, it, it's kind of like marrying someone and saying, you know, you, you're my one. Well, you're my main one. I got a few other ones, but you're my main one, you know? And the other ones, they're going to take care of the everyday stuff, you know? You know, they're taking care of all the stuff. And, uh, and, but you're my main one, and if I need something, I'll give you a call. I mean, that's not much of a relationship, is it? But that's the relationship, the the way the relationship was between the Israelite people and God. And so God was justifiably angry at their unfaithfulness. So consequently, he lifts his hand of blessing and protection from them. And now they have to live in the consequences of these decisions to follow these other gods. So chapter 6 begins with the statement that we find, Very often in Judges, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Not a good start. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and the strongholds. Now, I'm not going to go into this too much because we talked about it last time. But they would come in, Midianites would come in, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, and settle on the land that the Israelites have been, where they've been growing their crops, raising their cattle and take all of it. And they did this for seven years in a row. Now I imagine during those seven years, the Israelites are calling on their God, Baal and Astaroth, because they were in charge of the harvest. Please save us, please save us. After seven years of this, nothing's changed. Someone comes up with the idea, maybe we should call on that other God. So they cry out to the Lord. The Lord sends them a prophet and tells them, here's why you're in this condition, folks. You've been worshiping these other gods. I'm mad at you. You're living in the consequences of your decision to live this way. But then God shows them mercy. They are his people after all. And enter Gideon into the story. And it says in, in chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. Ophrah. don't want to give Ophrah any credit. She doesn't deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Which belonged to Joash the, of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Pardon me. Pardon me. It doesn't, does it? It makes no sense. First off, why is this angel calling Gideon a mighty hero? I'm just going to call it. He's acting like a wimp. He's acting like a coward. He's threshing grain in a wine press. Now, let me tell you how stupid that is. Because it is. it's, It's like the worst case scenario. When you thresh wheat. What you do is, is you get a specially made stick and you beat the wheat so that the the, the leaves and the, and the straw separates from the kernel. But they're all still in there. So once you've beaten it, you get a big scoop thing and you throw it up in the air and the wind blows the lighter chaff away and the kernels come down and you just keep doing that until all the rubbish is gone and you've got the kernels of wheat. So you do it in a big, wide, open space where there's a wind. A wine press, on the other hand, is a, is a narrow, it'd be like a tunnel dug down into the ground. When you stomp the, the, the grapes, you want the juice to go into the wine press. You don't want any wild yeast to get into your wine, because it will change the flavor and the kind of wine. So you're, you're keeping it in an enclosed place to correct it, to, to keep it good. So you've got one thing that you do outside, and you've got one thing that you do in an enclosed place. So Gideon's in the bottom of the wine press, threshing wheat. It must have looked so strange. If somebody's walking by, they can't see him. All they can see every so often is a puff of wheat coming up. It blows off and it goes back in. And he's covered in this stuff. Can you imagine the allergies? (laughs) He's down there. He's got wheat all over him. He's sneezing and he's coughing and it's getting in his lungs. And then the angel comes along. (laughs) says... Hey, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Now, I don't think that Gideon at that point was feeling much like a mighty warrior. I think he was probably feeling more like a coward. He's he's threshing grain in a wine press. He comes out, the angel's sitting there, there's bits of straw sticking out of his hair, it's all over him, he's coughing, he's spluttering. (laughs) Hey, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And then Gideon responds. He has a little hissy fit with the angel. If the Lord is with us, why are we saying all this stuff? The angel completely ignores him, doesn't respond to it. And he says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. That's kind of a scary proposition, isn't it? When you pray and you ask God to do something, and about, and he comes to you and says, you're the instrument I'm going to use to do this. No, that's not what I wanted, God. I wanted you to send me a rescuer. I didn't want to be the rescuer. <laughs> Go with the strength. What strength does he have? He's hiding in a wine press. Pardon me. It makes no sense, doesn't it? And Gideon absolutely agrees with you all. It makes no strength. He says, But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now, here's the problem. Here's the essence of this part of the story of Gideon. God. Is having a faith conversation, and Gideon is having a fact conversation. To catch the difference there, God is having a faith conversation. Gideon is having a fact conversation. He's looking at the facts as he sees them, and he's thinking, "This ain't gonna work." For starters, I I'm not a mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have. I don't have any strength. I'm covered in wheat. Like seriously, God. Here's the problem. One of the most difficult things about faith and living in faith and, and living out our faith is that very often, most often, it makes no sense. It makes no human logical sense. Faith defies the facts because the Lord is not limited by the facts as we see them. He sees all. We see what we see right now. He sees Gideon, who Gideon is going to be. Hey, mighty warrior, because we know the end of the story, right? Right at this point, Gideon's just a farmer covered in wheat. What do you mean, mighty warrior? God sees the potential. We see the limitations. How often do we miss out on experiencing the Lord's best for us Because we limit our faith walk to the facts as we see them. I'm trapped by these facts, God, because they are rock solid, real. God says, I'm not interested in your facts. I'm bigger than your facts. Are you willing to trust me? So Gideon feels like a, a, a wimpy coward. The Lord sees a mighty warrior. Gideon feels weak because he is weak. The Lord tells him, you've got all the strength you need to accomplish what I want to accomplish through you. Now, just think about that for a second. Whatever God might be doing in your life, whatever God might be leading you through in your life, whatever struggle you might be going through, God has already given you all the strength that you need to deal with that problem through his power in your life. It is already there. Go in the strength you have. Because I am with you and I will be your strength. To live in faith means that that we step out in obedience, in the conditions and under the circumstances we are in. When God tells us to do it. You see, so often what we want to do is is God tells us to take a step of faith. We want to have everything in place so that if we take that step, it's no longer a step of faith. We want all the conditions to be right, and then maybe I'll take this step that you've called me to take, God, but we wait for everything to be right so no faith is required. But that's not what God wants. He says, I want you to go in your strength right now. Before you're ready, before the conditions are right, I will be with you. I will be your strength. Do you have the guts to step out? At this point, Gideon doesn't have the guts to step out. I think about things, you know. It's always the big three, isn't it? Your time, your talents, and your treasures. And I'll start being obedient with my finances, God, when I've got more money than I know what to do with. I'll start being obedient with my time, God, when I have more time than I need. I'll start being obedient with my talents, God, when I'm so good at doing whatever you want me to do, I don't need to do any work. It's already there. I'll start being faithful, God, when I don't need to be faithful. And we miss out on the God's best for us. So Gideon, at this stage, he's got no faith, but he does have facts. My family's so weak. I'm the weakest in my family. My family's the weakest in our clan. Our clan's the weakest in our tribe. (laughs) Why me? So Gideon asks for a sign. If this is really the Lord, he says, I want to know that you're the Lord. He says, I'm going to go and make an offering. So we talked about this last time. He goes off, he bakes some bread, he slaughters a goat. Meanwhile, God's waiting for him. He goes off and he prepares it. He brings it, and the angel of the Lord, or the Lord, it, it could be either, touches it with his staff, and boom, it all goes up in smoke. Suddenly, Gideon believes. It's like, ooh, this is God. This is, this is serious. And his faith begins to grow. So now the Lord tests Gideon. He tells Gideon to go pull down his father's altar to Baal. And right next to the altar to Baal is a an Asherah pole, a big pole. And he says, "I want you to I want you to wreck your dad's altar to Baal. I want you to build a new altar out of that stuff to the living God. I want you to take that that Asherah pole." Cut it down, chop it up, go get one of your dad's best bowls, bring it back here, slaughter it, and sacrifice it as an offering to me, and do it right here on the top of the hill where they worship Baal. Gideon does it, he obeys, but he does it at night. When no one can see him, he calls some of his servants around. He does a sneaky, cuts it down. He does the right thing, but he does it at night. So he's still acting a little bit cowardly, but we're making progress, right? He does it. Next morning, the people go up there. They see Baal's altar is gone. The Ashtaroth pole is gone. And in their minds, these gods are already mad at us. Look what's happening every seven years, every year. Now they're going to be even madder. Who did this? And someone says, it was Gideon. So they make a plan to kill Gideon. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details, but Gideon's dad stands up for him and says, well, if Baal's really God, let him deal with Gideon. We don't have to deal with Gideon. And they don't kill Gideon. So this is a sign to Gideon that God really is in this. And as you get into that, what I call the faith zone, you begin to really experience God and your faith begins to grow. It's this weird thing, you know, you've got to take the step of faith to know that faith works. It's the cart and the horse. What what comes first? Am I going to step out in faith or am I going to wait for God to build a bridge? God says there's a bridge there. You can't see it. It's there. Jump on out there, buddy. So down to verse 33. It says, soon afterwards, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Ooh, Gideon. He blew a ram's horn. I always carry a ram's horn. You never know when the opportunity is going to come. <laughs> Still up that mountain. Yeah, I wouldn't get very many people, would I? So he blows the ram's horn. It's the last time I blow that one. Well, till later. <laughs> the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew the ram's horn as a call to arms. Okay, this is important. And the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning all their warriors, and all of them responded. Pardon me? It doesn't make any sense. The people that were just about to kill Gideon, Now he blows the horn, instead of just the Midianites, you've got all of these other armies have joined in and they're all coming in to attack Israel. They come in and camp, and instead of running and hiding as they've done, he blows the horn and all of these warriors start responding to Gideon. Now here's what happens. When you begin to move in the direction of faith, your sails are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you step out in faith beyond your circumstances, when you step out in faith beyond the facts, this is a bigger army, this is a worse situation, when you step out in faith, people around you will see it and they will respond to your step of faith. All of a sudden, these people that were running and hiding and threshing wheat in a wine press are now arming themselves up and they're coming to Gideon because we got to kick some... I can't say that. We have to deal with these people. (laughs) If you want the lives of those around you to be impacted by the Lord, it begins when you are impacted by the Lord. If you want those around you to live in faith, it begins when you begin to live in faith. That's how it works. So back to Gideon. This army attacking is even bigger, but instead of running and hiding, he blows the horn, they come, And the people respond. But as is often the case, and has been the case in my life, when you come face to face with what it is that God is calling you to do, it's like, ooh, (laughs) he's right. Maybe I'm a warrior, but next week I'll be a, a warrior. It gets scary. Because here's the difficult thing about faith. God says, I will be with you. But you're the one that has to enter in the battle. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to do it through you. And that's kind of scary. I'm going to step out in faith. You know, it's like, God, you want me to tithe? That's 10%. Do you know how much that is? God, you want me to serve on what ministry? Do you realize how much time and how much commitment that's going to require? You want me to teach? Do you realize how spiritually immature I am, God? I want to be faithful to you, God, but pardon me. It makes no sense. It's God, I need another sign. I want to be faithful to you, but I'm looking at me and I'm looking at what you've called me to do. And I believe you called me to do it, but I'm a little bit scared and I need another sign. And this is a situation that Gideon's in. He says, okay, God, I I think it's you. I've called the army in. I I need a sign. And we all know about the fleeces. He takes a fleece out and he puts it out overnight. He says, God, if I wake up in the morning and the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, I know that's you. He gets up in the morning, the ground's wet, the fleece is dry. God's with me, but God, can we do it one more time? Let's switch it around. I'll wake up tomorrow and the ground will be dry and the fleece will be wet. Then I'll really know it's you. And he wakes up in the morning, the ground's dry and the fleece is wet. And, and Gideon, yeah, this, this is God. I'm starting to believe that this is God. I know God wants to work through me. I'm really scared. Here's the thing with God. God's not put off by your fear. And God is not put off by your reluctance either. You know, sometimes we think that, that if we don't act immediately in faith, God is going to get angry at us. But I think that God looks at his faithful ones and he does what we need to be encouraged in order to do what he's called us to do. He wants to encourage, he's not there for us to fail. Let me give you a task. It's going to be so bad. There's absolutely no way. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to trust in him. So he's doing this for Gideon. He's patient. But now we get some really... Pardon me. (laughs) Yeah, it gets really... So he gives Gideon the side he needs. The enemy army numbers 135,000 warriors. Gideon musters an army of 32,000 warriors. That's more than four to one in the enemy's favor. That's pretty bad odds, right? I mean, you're getting into a fight. You don't want to be fighting four people. And they got all the food. You got nothing. And the Lord says to Gideon, You got too many soldiers. That's like pardon me? It's like God coming to you and saying, You got too much money to fix your financial situation. You should give some away. That makes no sense, God. So God says to Gideon, I want you to know that this is me doing this. I want you to have no doubt about whose strength we are doing this in. So go to your, so, your soldiers, your 32,000 men, and say to them, anybody who's scared can go home. 22,000 of them leave. <laughs> now Gideon's got an army of 10,000, and I think he's thinking, oh, this ain't going good. <laughs> now we're at 13.5 to 1. It's not going good. And then God says, that's still a little bit too many, Gideon. Get the guys to go down to the river and get a drink. And we're going to sort them into two groups. We're going to sort them into the group of the men that kneel down to get a drink and the ones that scoop the water up and lap it. 9,700 of them kneel down. 300 of them scoop. So I'm imagining Gideon's thinking, 9700 is all I got now, and God says, "Send the 9700 home. All we need is 300." And you know, Gideon's thinking, "This is going from bad to worse." You know, I was a little bit scared. Now I'm very scared, and God just keeps moving the target here. It's getting harder and harder to hit. Now we had a ratio of 450 to one. Pardon me. It does not, does it? If you're a Gideon right now, how do you feel? Terrified Terrified's a good word. Scared. It's scary. It's like I said, when God says I'm going to do something through you, he's not going to do it for you. And he's going to do it in such a manner that when it's all over, there's no room for you to say, look what I did. Because everybody knows you couldn't do that. There's no possible way at a ratio of 450 to one that you're going to win this battle. It just ain't going to happen. So God's, <laughs> it gets weirder. So God tells Gideon, he says, if you're scared, because he knows Gideon, take your servant, and go down into the enemy camp, and you're going to be encouraged. Pardon me. It makes no sense. The guy who was so afraid that he's threshing wheat in the wine press is now going to walk on down the hill into the enemy camp. So he goes down there with his servant, and uh, he hears these two people, just happens to hear these two people talking about a dream. And the one guy says, a loaf of bread came down the hill and knocked the tent over. And the other guy says, oh, no, that can only mean one thing. Gideon and the Israelites are going to whoop our behinds. Now, how do you get that interpretation out of a dream about a loaf of bread? (laughs) I mean, seriously. So Gideon goes down there. Yeah, a loaf of bread came down knocked over. Yeah, that's the Israelites. They're going to whoop us. Gideon is all encouraged. He gets it. This is a sign. This is a sign. God told me to come down here. I'll be encouraged. Even they think we're going to beat them. This is good news. And he bows down and he worships the Lord. That's the natural response, isn't it? When we're so scared and we don't know what to do and God does something in us and through us and to us and we see him in action, our only response is, wow, wow. God. So he bows down and he worships the Lord, and the Lord gives him a plan. He goes back to the 300, divides them into three groups, and he says to each one get a horn, a bowl, and a candle. We're going to attack the enemy. (laughs) Oh, that would not inspire courage, would it? We need a horn, a bowl, and a candle. Pardon me? That's what they're saying to Gideon. That makes no sense. Now, it's getting late, so I'm not going to go into the whole story. But the Lord gives them victory with their candle and their horn and their bowl. They smite the whole army. He gives them victory. Here's the thing. So much of this story makes no sense. Gideon is a scared farmer. Why would God use a scared farmer? When he came to David and said, you're going to be king, David was already, he had killed a lion with his bare hands. He had killed a bear with his bare hands. Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's so afraid. It doesn't make sense. And then he whittles down the army from 32,000 to 300. It doesn't make sense. And then he bases the manner in which who they're going to choose to fight on how they drink water. It makes no sense that Gideon would happen to go down into the camp of the enemy and hear someone talking about a dream of a loaf of bread makes no sense. That somebody would interpret that as victory for Israel makes no sense. And then he comes up with the Bed Bath and Beyond battle plan. I mean, <laughs> ram's horn jars and candles. It makes no sense. Here's the takeaway from this story. And there's so much more. I really want to encourage you to read it. We are not so unlike Gideon and the Hebrew people. Like them, we believe that the Lord is the Lord. He's God, right? But like them, often we too turn to gods and idols on a daily basis for our security. And while we're not seeking to be unfaithful to the Lord, we turn to other things for our security, things that we know and understand and trust, the facts, whether they're good facts or bad facts, that's what we go to. Those are our foreign gods. we got our big God, but these gods are the facts. And we base our obedience to God on what we understand to be true. The facts. And if we don't understand, we stay back from faithfulness. Now, here's the important principle that we learn from, from our Bible Pete Gideon You don't have to understand, you just have to obey. You don't have to understand, you just have to obey. A lack of understanding does not excuse a lack of obedience in God's eyes. Too often, we try to fit God into a box shaped by our understanding. I want to fit God into my understanding. But you can't put God in a box. It won't work. He's not limited by your understanding. And he's not limited by your fear. The only thing that limits God's power in your life is your disobedience to obey him. Anything that God calls you to do, anything, no matter how big, no matter how much beyond you that it is, God empowers you to do. And the only thing that stops you from being everything that you can be in God is your fear and your lack of trust, which comes out in disobedience. I just need some more proof God I just need some more proof God I just need some more proof God then then I'll be faithful instead of trying to make sense of God we must learn to trust God because we're not going to make sense of God we got to learn to obey him regardless of our fears regardless of the facts as we see them and understand them and that's not easy It's a step-by-step process, but if you let God guide your steps, he will lead you into greater faithfulness. And that's the only way that you will truly experience God and his power in your life. Now, I don't know what you're facing in life. I do know this in a room with as many people as in, in here now and those who are watching online, someone's going through something. Someone's struggling with a situation that's bigger than they are. And they've probably been praying and calling on God and they're wondering where God is and things are not making sense and they're scared and they don't know what to do. The enemies that mount up against you. Here's what I know. The only way that you can experience victory over those enemies is is to put aside your understanding and your misunderstanding and your confusion about what God is doing and act in obedience by choosing to trust him, even if it doesn't make sense. Sometimes God's ways don't make sense. What's God's, (laughs) the weird stuff in the Bible, what's God's plan for your finances? Give more of it away. What's it God's plan for your response to someone who has hurt you? Love them, serve them, pray for them. Makes no sense. What's God's plan for you to have an incredible life? Die to yourself. What is God's plan for you to earn the respect of others that we so often crave? Become the servant of all. It makes sense No sense. So let me ask you a question as I bring this to a close. Where is God calling you to have faith? What difficult situation does he want you to trust him with? Where is God calling you to act in faith? I think there's a difference between living in faith and acting in faith. Living in faith is, 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 I think, trusting in God when you're in difficult circumstances and it's out of your control. I'm just going to trust you in this one God. I remember years ago when Sandra and I were going through some difficulties with our son. He was suffering with depression and suicide attempt. Serious stuff. And I remember us both praying about it, giving it to God, but we both made a determination God, we will walk with our son, but we are not going to allow what's going on with our son to get in the way of what you want us to do for you. We'll keep our eyes fixed on you. We'll keep you for obedience. And whatever happens with James, if it goes the way that we want it to, that's great. And if it doesn't, you are still God. We will still serve you. You've got to stop. And learn, stop trying to make sense of God and simply learn to trust and obey him. It's the only way that you can experience victory. You know, Karen's baptism was an act of faith. Karen's journey of faith came to fruition at a very difficult time in her life. Her husband, Graham, was diagnosed with cancer. Was it last year he passed away? And in that time, we're all praying. And things don't make sense sometimes. And Karen was very new in this walk of faith. And at a time when it would be easier to question God and wonder what God is doing, why isn't this going the way that it's supposed to go, God, she turned to God. And she learned to trust God even when things don't go the way that we want them to go. When God doesn't do the things, we're all praying for Graham. But instead of getting angry at God, she decided to trust God. Which led her to the step of faith that you saw today. The lesson here is that we must learn to trust God and live in obedience even when it doesn't make sense and we don't understand. Amen? Amen. It's not an easy one, is it? We can learn a lot from Gideon. But you know what? Whatever you're going through, whatever God is calling you to, whatever is going wrong and you don't understand what it is, our God is bigger than that enemy. And we need to hold closely to him. Trust and obey. It's the only way you can live in victory in Jesus. Amen. Gives me great honor to award to Karen Heath. You have to come up. This certificate of baptism, proof that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, because I signed it right there. (laughs) Father, I thank you for Karen. I thank you for my sister in Christ and my sister here. And I pray your blessing upon her, Father. Strengthen her every step of the way. I pray that you would do this in in us and every person in here, Father, that you would make us a light, a bastion of strength, that we would be people of faith who would live in such a way that all of us around us would look to us and say, I don't know what you got, but I want what you have. Lord, pour out your blessing upon us and give us courage when we are afraid. Be patient with us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mr. Leal, sir. The ushers up front. And as they're walking up, I want to remind you that there's three envelopes in front of your chairs. The first one's a communication card. And uh, if this is your first time visiting us, thank you for being here. We actually have a just a token of our appreciation, and just remember us, we actually have a Lakeway mug. And I know the Edmondsons, you can't have any more. They have like a six of these or 12 of these in their cabinets, but no more for you guys. But for those that are new, uh, we have a mug for you. And then again, prayer request cards. Fill them out, and as the ushers uh, pass the uh, the uh, bags around, you could drop off your prayer re-